0: Welcome to Rec Talks, a podcast dedicated to the latest trends from the world of RegTech, fintech and financial regulations. My name is Klaus Christensen and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Know Your Customer. Today, it's my great pleasure to welcome Sujata Dasgupta as my guest. Based in Stockholm, Sweden. Sujata is a multiple international award-winning industry leader and the Global Head of Financial Crimes Compliance Advisory at Tata Consultancy Services. She has over 20 years of experience, having worked extensively in the areas of KYC, sanctions, AML and fraud across banking, IT services and consulting in the US, the UK, Europe and Asia. She has recently been named Risk Professional of the Year 2021, won the Fraud Prevention Award 2021 from Temis, and featured among the 10 young and inspiring businesswomen to watch in 2021 by Tycoon Success Magazine. Sujata, that is very impressive. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much, Claus. I'm really honored to be part of your session today and look forward to our discussion.
0: Well, Let's dive right in. We have already seen in... Our introduction, how extensive your experience in the area of financial crime compliance is. Can you tell us a bit more about your journey within the sector and maybe how you've seen it change over the years?
1: I have been working in this industry for about 21 years now. It was uh, the year 2000 when I started my journey. I first worked in a bank in India, US, and then I moved to IT services. And now I'm into the management and IT consulting, all in the space of uh, compliance. Now, what have I seen in this last 21 years? Well, I would say there's a lot that has changed. And I wanted to break it down into three parts. What I have seen changing in the financial crime landscape itself. Secondly, how the regulators have responded to it during the last two decades. And thirdly, how financial institutions have adopted all of these changes, incorporating all these regulations into their systems. So firstly, in terms of how the financial crime landscape has changed, well, we have seen a tremendous transformation so when i got introduced into the banking sector in 2000 this term financial crime was not there at all i remember doing a, you know new account onboarding just by checking their identification document that to taking just a copy of their original but now when we look at it we have to consider so many different kinds of crimes because the crime landscape has become so much more complex so sophisticated The year 2001 is when we got exposed to terrorist financing after the 9-11 attacks. And that was, I think, the turning point when the world witnessed that through the financial system, so much could be done for proliferating crimes. So over the years now, we have got then exposed to human trafficking, drug trafficking, you know, wildlife trafficking, and so many other crimes. Now we are looking at crypto crimes, cyber crimes, environmental crimes. So the whole crime landscape itself has undergone so much change. It has become so complex, so sophisticated. The criminals are using a lot of advanced technology. So how have the regulators responded to it? Again, if I go back to the year 2000, we just had about the Bank Secrecy Act 1970, which was very light in terms of legislation. But then 2001 onwards, we have seen very stringent legislations coming in, starting from the U.S. with the U.S. Patriot Act. Then every country, every jurisdiction started uh, uh, having their own KYC AML regulations. And slowly, this KYC AML itself has now expanded to so much more. Now you have sanctions, pep, fraud, cyber crimes. And uh, if we see the last decade itself, there has been continuous and successive new regulations coming through. And it's not just among the the larger developed economies like your US, UK, it's across the world. The regulators have also been trying to respond to these changing crime typologies and coming up with their own guidelines, the mandates, encouraging new technologies to be used, encouraging collaboration. so I think that is how the regulators have responded. Now, the third part is how institutions have responded to it. It has, again, moved from your KYC, EML to an FCC. Every bank that you look at, they will have an FCC head, a financial crime compliance head. In terms of processes and technologies, I can say it's been massive. It's a whole transformation. I, myself, when I joined the bank, the banking industry was moving from a manual processing. From there, we were just getting into that uh, computerization mode to where we are now, we are looking at, you know, your machine learning and robotics and all of that. And this is not just the banking overall space. Compliance is also getting into all these pieces. So we are using all of these to identify thread, identify money laundering, identifying various kinds of frauds. So I think the technology landscape itself has changed so much for the financial institutions. In all of these three parts, while the criminals have also upgraded themselves in terms of sophistication and technology, the regulators and institutions have also tried to respond to them with an equal urge to tackle them. So, I think there's been tremendous work done in the last two decades.
0: Thank you so much. That is an all-compassing answer, actually. And it got me all excited. Uh, Interestingly, if you are inside this industry, well, we are part of the technological transformation of onboarding and AML. You don't really tend to see how much has changed. You really have to step back uh, and look at a 21-year period like you can to see, wow, this is a tremendous change. After talking about the past, let's concentrate on the future for a second. What are the trends that you foresee over the next couple of years for financial crime compliance or indeed a bit longer?
1: In terms of trends, criminals cannot be stopped. So they would, of course, go finding their own new mechanisms and no own new ways. For example, just like we saw during COVID, so many different times of crimes proliferated just in, in the initial six months of COVID. What we are witnessing now, and I think this is going to be a trend now. Again, I'll break it up into two parts. What regulators would be doing in, in the near future and what institutions could be doing in the near future. In terms of regulators, we have seen that there is a lot more harmonization that is coming in. Why do I say harmonization? Because ultimately it's it's all led by the global regulators. For example, your FATF coming up with their 40 uh, recommendations, which which need to be adopted by, uh, by all countries. I mean, most countries are adopting them, but then you have your national or local uh, regulators who are actually driving the change within their jurisdictions. Even though the global regulations remain the same for all countries, all jurisdictions, the local applications and interpretations have been a little different. I think that harmonization is now coming in. So we have seen uh, the 22 predicate crimes being you know, laid down in Europe. And very soon we heard uh, FinCEN talking about the eight priorities. So you will see that there is a lot of uh, synergy. There's a lot of overlap. Uh, again, if you talk about the beneficial ownership legislation, you will see a harmony across. So whether it's New Zealand, Australia, Europe, UK, you know, US, everywhere, we are now talking the same language. So I think regulators are focusing more on harmonization because if the rules are not harmonized, the, the criminals will try to find the path of least resistance. So they will find a jurisdiction where there is a slight gap and they will push their dirty money through that. So if there is a harmonization that there is the same level of stringency in terms of regulation, that is where uh, the defense becomes so much stronger. And then, of course, if new crimes are going to be perpetrated, new regulations will also come through. Like I was talking about the new regulations around cryptocurrency, new regulations around cyber crimes, around environmental crimes. We were not aware or maybe these crimes were not there. For example, your uh, illegal waste dumping. We had not heard about this, say, 10, 20 years ago, but now those crimes are coming in from an institutional perspective i believe there will be uh, an increasing focus and a continued focus on uh, use of advanced technologies like uh, uh, the ai the machine learning robotics analytics so we have seen this adoption started in the compliance space but uh, it it is going to continue and uh, it will become more i think all encompassing data driven processes is what will power the future compliance processes at institutions and because there is so much data now available Internally, externally, the kind of transactions have become very different because now we're talking about all instant payments, a 10 second payment window. So there is that less time to make a decision. This will be a combination use of data and uh, AI. So that is definitely going to power the next generation of FinCrime compliance at institutions. And the second part, which has started already, which is about collaboration among institutions. So earlier institutions were working on their own, but now there is a call for collaboration, which regulators are also supporting. And institutions, you know, they are acknowledging the virtues of of collaboration among multiple institutions, because... Criminals do not work through an individual institution or in a particular country. So uh, institutions also have to get united in order to fight criminals. So I think these would be the trends if I talk about um, institutions. So collaboration is definitely going to be much stronger.
0: Very interesting. I do see the harmonization happening as well. We uh, had always were kind of privileged here in Europe, where I'm currently sitting, to have the EU setting up a system-wide framework. But also at the same time, we could see here how that framework was translated differently in different countries. So even at this level, we had this harmonization drive, but uh, also it not completely working. There are still very distinct differences between countries. At the same time, there's now a lot of harmonization happening in the world. Think about the latest decision of the OECD countries to agree on a minimum corporation tax. That is a big step for many governments. I think it's much easier to agree on standards and execution of anti-money laundering processes, for example. And we've seen the same trends in terms of regulators going towards encouraging rag use, In this process, how do you see the role of professionals in the FinCrime compliance function evolving at banks and other reporting entities?
1: Like I was talking about my journey over the last two decades, where we moved from a manual banking itself to a computerized banking. And and now uh, we are in the the fourth generation of, you know, the business 4.0 or the industrial revolution 4.0, where we have moved from computerization to AI or a digital world, where uh, some people like to call it augmented intelligence. And I would lean towards that because I wouldn't call AI as artificial intelligence so much as it is augmented intelligence because in the world of financial crime a lot depends on the cognitive judgment of humans i am still in favor of continuing to have humans in this whole compliance function for, for this skill of judgment while data and ai can provide them that augmented intelligence so in terms of uh, how this will uh, change for people in this whole um, kyc aml and and the rest of the financial crime function people have been used to doing a lot of data collection a lot of data entry A lot of manual effort in the whole process, though they were working on a particular platform, but they were doing a lot of these activities manually. Now, I think with data and AI coming to their rescue, a lot of these activities will be done by the data and AI driven solutions themselves. So our people don't have to do that data entry, data collation. That work will be taken care of. What they need to focus on is analyzing this data set which is there in front of them the visualizations which is there they should be able to use those systems as to how to use the cross filters how to use the navigations how to look at a graph if there is a network graph there how do you look at it how do you expand it our people need to learn to work along with machines they would need to upskill themselves in terms of understanding the technology they don't need to You know, learn to code themselves because there will be a set of data scientists, um, data engineers who would be working there. But for our existing people who are working on investigations, they need to upskill themselves on use of these new technologies. So while the manual, effort-driven processes, we will need lesser people there, but there will be more people needed on the judgment-based processes because the volume of transactions are increasing. So the number of alerts are not going down so soon.
0: I love your idea of just redefining AI into augmented intelligence, because that is exactly how we use AI in our systems as well, and uh, our customers use our systems. In your experience, how has the emergence of fintech and especially RackTech ecosystems impacted large services and product companies? It doesn't always seem to be an easy journey. Is there a way for them to work effectively together?
1: Earlier, we had seen just large banks working with large, say, IT service players or large product players, so to say. So platforms were very heavy. The companies were very big. So they were working well together. About the fintechs and regtechs that we now speak of, I think they would have all come in the last decade, not before that. So what has happened is we now, at least in the last few years, we hear so many uh, fintechs and regtechs coming up because it has become a completely digital world. This has brought in a very healthy competition. Why a healthy competition? Because fintechs are much smaller players. They're very light, very agile, so they can make any types of changes that their client wants. They can come up with new products very quickly. As we have seen during COVID, so many new products came in, so many new fintechs grew during this period. So that makes it very easy for them to to play around in this whole ecosystem. And that has actually given a healthy competition to the existing players, the larger IT service companies or your larger IT product companies. So now they are also forced to innovate, to come up with new solutions. Now we have a lot of choices in terms of uh, products, in terms of solutions. You know, most of these solutions are now API enabled. So so that makes it so easy for the solutions to be integrated with a bank's own platform. Everything is now getting cloud enabled. So, you know, the cost of storage, uh, security, all of that, you know, comes down so much more. It's so much more operationally efficient. So I think it's because of this competition that everybody is forced to innovate. So that is, that is the first I would say. Secondly, I also witness a very strong collaboration among all these uh, players in the ecosystem. There is a synergy because like I was talking about the fintechs, they are smaller players. So they do not have the scale. While they can come up with very good solutions, they do not have that scale while implementing it for large uh, institutions. Because large institutions may have uh, you know very complex systems, their ecosystem, because they may have multiple lines of business. Most of the large institutions are spread across countries. So for a small fintech or a regtech, which operates maybe with less than 100 people, for them, it may not be easy to scale up to a level of, say, 1,000 people to implement it across 20 countries. And that is where I think the larger players, the larger IT service partners, that is where they come in. Because over these period of years, they have gained this depth. They understand the market. They have the domain expertise. They have the people. So with all these trends, they are able to collaborate with these uh, fintech players. So in my own experience, I have seen that uh, there are these larger players and these smaller players who are now announcing partnerships. And we see it on, you know, on the social media or on the news every day that two companies have partnered. And in most cases, you will see one is a very large player and one is a niche uh, fintech or a regtech player. So I think we are witnessing a lot of uh, collaboration also. So in both the cases, I think uh, in in terms of competition and collaboration, uh, I think the entire ecosystem of partners get benefited.
0: Absolutely agree here. We've seen banks and larger financial institutions struggle with their decision should we go for an established player that hasn't innovated as much in the last few years or should we go with a niche player that is very young very inexperienced in working with large institutions that is culturally on a different level in much more agile and doesn't understand our management structures and all this but is much more innovative Seeing that struggle uh, resolved in partnerships is exactly what we did as well. We partnered with a number of larger IT and um, other products around uh, risk management and so on to be able to access larger financial institutions as clients, and that has been extremely successful for us as well. Penalties for non-compliance by regulators all over the world, whether FinCEN, MAS, or in the European Union, are on the rise year on year. What is your opinion of the effectiveness of such penalties? Are they working, actually?
1: In my view, we have seen some very large ticket penalties uh, by regulators on institutions, and that's across the globe. Most of these regulators have been very stringent in terms of penalties. But has it reduced the volume or the complexity of financial crimes? Well, no, as we can see from all the all the reports coming every day. So again, I am aligned to that view that penalties are not effective. At least they have not served the purpose that they were intended to. If I think logically, it could be due to two reasons. One is, if you look at the larger institutions, they are spread in multiple countries. They have you know multiple lines of businesses. So they have really very complex compliance frameworks. So if they have to make changes in order to incorporate all the regulatory guidelines, they need a lot of changes. And we are seeing the kind of crimes that are proliferating now are much different from what it was say 10, 20 years ago. Whereas the systems, they still, most large banks continue with the systems which they had say 15 years ago. So the platforms remain legacy platforms, but you have the crimes changing, the regulations changing. So if these banks have to overhaul their compliance frameworks or or the systems, It would involve a huge amount of investment, possibly. I think the volume of investments that would be required in order to make those changes probably is much higher than what they're paying in penalties. Penalties are being taken as cost of doing business rather than a message that you need to set your house right. So that could be one logical reason I could think of. The other could be that the criminals, these are the individuals or the entities, these are very powerful and they're also high valued business to the institutions. So if the institutions were to make their systems and their defenses more stringent, that would hurt these kind of businesses because, uh, you know, they are the ones who bring in the revenues and the profits and the uh, fees and commissions and all of that. So if I were a bank and I were to stop those kind of customers in the tracks by my stronger defense mechanisms, I would be hurting my own profits and revenues. So, I mean, this is just a logical thought. I do not know whether this has been the reason. But uh, surely the penalties have not worked and they are being taken as cost of business. What we are seeing now, stringent clauses are being added to these regulations to make senior executives and boards personally liable. It started with New York's DFS Part 504 and then now it's getting added to other regulations also. We have seen some of the examples in the last couple of years, right? At least in Europe, we have seen several examples where uh, chief executive officers, chief risk officers, chief compliance officers have been held responsible for debacles or violations in their AML KYC program. So I think it is changing. So it is moving away from just financial penalties to more criminal charges on individuals. So that probably would make a difference in terms of sending a message to institutions to change their FCC defenses.
0: We have one last question that I ask all guests. So if tomorrow you woke up and somehow you had become the global financial regulator, what would be the first thing you would do? And of course, why?
1: That is a very tough question, Klaus. What we see now is uh, regulators are already doing so much. So if I were to wake up uh, as a regulator, I think, I would continue to do all of these things, definitely. But then I I do also have a couple of ideas. So one is I was talking about, you know, the global regulations themselves, starting from the FATF 40 recommendations, which are being interpreted differently in in different countries. So if I were a global regulator, probably I would try to get the local regulators together so that we agree on the common standards, the common understanding, and define common interpretations of each of these uh, recommendations and then have them implemented. Secondly, I would also encourage the use of uh, intelligence among regulators because criminals do not know borders, they do not work within national boundaries, but our regulators are restricted to their own uh, jurisdictions, right? So I think that kind of collaboration will certainly help. It's not easy, given that uh, it's a huge world and there are so many jurisdictions, but at least I would start with the ones which are not at par with developed counterparts. So probably I would start with them, get the regulators together, get on a common understanding, get them to collaborate. Those kind of initiatives would be something which I would uh, you know, want to try if I had the authority.
0: So Jata, that is fantastic. Uh, it speaks of your wealth of experience and it's, it's great to hear that you would know exactly what to do I'll vote for you in the next FATF meeting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Klaus.
0: <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of REC Talks. My name is Klaus Christensen, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of award-winning REC Tech provider Know Your Customer. If you liked the episode, please subscribe to the whole series and leave us a review. And if you'd like to connect with us, suggest a guest or a topic for an upcoming episode please send us a message at info at knowyourcustomer.com or visit com slash talks.